Today, before we get started with another episode of The Red Justice Project, Brittany and I want to bring attention to an email we received last week. The listener didn't like some of the ways in which we talk about our Lumbee tribal communities and found it a bit offensive. For us, we were initially shocked because we love Robinson County, we love where we come from, and the land we call home. We took time to reflect and understand how some of our sentencing jokes, and language may not always come across in the ways in which it is intended. So please know that when we're talking about the place we call home, that we're talking about a place that raised us, a place that shaped us, and for every heart-wrenching story we tell about Robinson County, there are two more stories of compassion, of colonial resistance, and of hope. If any of our words have offended you, we apologize, and please know that we understand the power words can have, and we will do our best to consider the language we use going forward. We appreciate the email that we received because it forced us to pause and reflect, and sometimes giving critical feedback isn't easy, and so we want to thank the person that emailed us, and with that, I'll pass it over to Brittany to introduce us to today's story. So today we have two more stories for you from Robinson County, North Carolina. Two Lumbee women, both older in age than all of the East Lumberton women, and both found in homes under mysterious circumstances. These are the stories of Rita Maynor and Susie Oxendine. Rita Maynard was a mother of four and a grandmother living in Robinson County, North Carolina. She was 63 years old. While Rita did have a history of drug and alcohol use, she was in constant contact with her family. In July 2018, Rita's family would learn devastating news that would change their family forever. Her body was found in an abandoned home, and she was severely decomposed. Right away when I learned about Rita's story, all I could think about was Rhonda, Kristen, and Megan, especially Kristen since she was found in an abandoned home as well. Yeah, me too, and we're definitely not the only ones because the media made that connection pretty early on as well. And so for reference, if you haven't listened to our two episodes on the murders and disappearances of the women in East Lumberton, those took place in 2017. So this is one year later during the summer of 2018. Rita's family said that they usually heard from her almost daily. Delton Bryant, who was Rita's son, reported to Inside Edition that his sister had last seen Rita on July 3rd. He said that she usually was in constant contact with her daughter or with her sister, but nobody had heard from her in days. So the family officially reported her missing with the Pembroke Police Department on July the 7th. And another difference in this case is that Rita lived in Pembroke, so a much smaller town than Lumberton with only about 3,000 residents. On July 8th, just one day after the official police report was filed, Pembroke Police Department found the body of Rita at a vacant and unfinished home on Pine Street, right in the middle of Pembroke. While the house was mostly boarded up, like the windows and some of the frame, the front door was actually open. It was unclear how Pembroke Police Department found Rita so quickly or how they needed to look at this abandoned home on Pine Street. Medical and dental records were used to identify Rita because her body was so badly decomposed. 
And something to remember here is that it is really hot in North Carolina in the summer and very humid, so I wonder if there was a smell that could have possibly led them to finding Rita. So another interesting thing is the date which she was found. So July 7th, 2018 may sound like just any other date, but July 7th of 2018 was actually the biggest day of Lumbee Homecoming in Pembroke, North Carolina. So Lumbee Homecoming is a week-long celebration for Lumbee people held in Pembroke each year during the week of 4th of July. So all throughout the week, there are pageants and tournaments and food trucks and vendors, and it all kind of leads up to this final Saturday where the town of 3,000 people actually has like 20 to 30,000 folks jammed into one small town on the last day because there's a parade, a powwow, even more vendors, and a night ending in fireworks. I mean, it is the holy Lumbee Mecca, right, Brittany? Definitely, it's my absolute favorite time of the year, and the police presence is there for sure, without a doubt, just because there are so many people there, and you'll see them on four-wheelers, bikes, and on their patrol cars. Yep, and so it's crazy to me, like on the biggest day of the year in Pembroke, that they actually took time to maybe start looking for Rita, um, or they actually, you know, were out searching the area for her, since they did discover her on that Sunday Yeah, and I feel like the news like that of finding a body in a home right there in the center of town when Pembroke is so crowded would have caused a scene and more folks would have known about what was happening. So similar to the cases of Rhonda, Kristen, and Megan, Rita's body was sent off to the medical examiner's office and it was announced that it was unclear how exactly she died and what she was doing in an abandoned home. Right away, the investigators in the Pembroke Police Department said they did not suspect foul play. And knowing the history of finding Indigenous women dead in our county, I'm not sure why, you know, they didn't suspect foul play right away. Right, and like, how can you say there's no foul play without a full review of her body? However, the police department did make an announcement to the public asking anyone to come forward with any information about Rita's movements and whereabouts leading up to when she went missing. The department was trying to understand how and why she ended up in an abandoned home by starting with when she actually did get there. But the family suspected foul play right away, even if the police department didn't. Her son, Bright, was quoted saying, Somebody was there. Somebody knows what happened. The family found the investigation into their mother's death to be slow moving, and they decided to take matters into their own hands since they were unhappy with the answers received from local officials about the investigation into their mom's body. So they took matters into their own hands. And Brittany, do you want to share what they did? So Rita's family actually decided to go do some digging into the crime scene themselves. When they arrived, they found the crime scene had not been secured. Anyone could come and go as they pleased. The family even went on Facebook Live to go through the small home their mama was found in and point out different things in the home that could have been linked to their mother's death. In the article that I read, Delton said on the live video that he pointed to a dark stain in dirt where flooring in the house should have been and said that uh, that was the spot where his mother was initially found. In the video, they also showed how Rita's shoes were still left behind in the home and they were strewn across the floor. And that reminded me of the episode that we did on Jap Locklear, who, as you may remember, was found murdered on his property just outside of Pembroke a few years earlier. And there was also shoes left behind right near where his body was found and they were covered in blood. The shoes were never collected by officials for investigation. 
Yeah, and it's just crazy to me if you don't initially know if somebody died of natural causes or mysterious circumstances, why you would not collect evidence just like in that case. And during the video, the family also shows the walls and pipes of the home, which have spotted stains on it that they believe to be blood spatter. And Delton is quoted as saying, how can you leave all this behind? Uh, whether it was hers or not, it's an, it still deserves an investigation. And those are definitely some of the same questions that I have. I also wonder, though, how equipped Pembroke Police Department was in handling a case like this. While the crime rate is higher in Robinson County, the number of actual murders that happen within the town limits of Pembroke is very low. The town did not treat this like a murder investigation, and last week when we covered the death of Katina Locklear, which happened in the town limits, this case had taken place several months before um, Katina was killed. So at this point, there really hadn't been a murder inside of the town limits that the Pembroke Police Department had to deal with in years. Um, you know, not one that they could really identify. So this was their first murder investigation. Um, the police department also called the FBI immediately after Rita's death because of how she was found. Like we speculated earlier, the department had found it eerie that she was found abandoned in the home like Kristen Bennett. So they wanted to see if there was any connections to the East Lumberton deaths. And even the family of Rita couldn't help but think about how similar the condition of their mama's body was compared to the women who were found in East Lumberton. When Rita Maynard's daughter, Rita Bryant, was interviewed, she spoke about Kristen, Rhonda, and Megan saying, They are still human beings. Don't treat them like they're nobody. About her mother, Rita said this, She is somebody's daughter, mother, niece, aunt. I want justice for my mother. I think about it day and night. What were my mom's last words? What happened to her? What was she crying out for? Why did they do her like this? She didn't deserve it. And as a daughter, that is a gut-wrenching feeling to know that your mama, you know, would suffer at the end of her life like that. Definitely. And with last week being MMIW Awareness Day, so MMIW being Missing Murder in Indigenous Women, and also with it being Mother's Day, you know, I constantly think about these women that we report on and how they're not here to celebrate these holidays like Mother's Day with their children or with their mothers. And so I'd like to take a moment of reflection and silence on the podcast to hold space for Rita and for Susie, who we'll be speaking about in just a little bit, and to all the other mothers who we've covered in past episodes. Deborah Blackcrow, Cindy Gladu, Lauren Holmes, Evelina Dial. Jessica Lowry, Michelle Driggers, Rhonda Jones, Megan Oxendine, Kristen Bennett, and Katina Locklear. And as we mentioned, Rita was found on July 8th by the Pembroke Police Department. Just two days later, on July 10th, it was reported by the local newspaper that an autopsy had been performed on Rita and that she had died of natural causes. Detective Ed Strickland also said that at the time, the department said there did not appear to be any foul play in the case, but the investigation was still open. And that's where we leave you with the story of Rita. Unfortunately, her case is still considered to be a death of natural causes, and to our knowledge, there have been no more active inquiries into her death, although it seems her family still holds out hope that they will learn one day what truly happened to Rita Maynard. The next story we want to tell you about is the story of Susie Oxendine. 
Susie was a 74-year-old grandma living in Pembroke, North Carolina. Her granddaughter, Kenyatta, described her as a very sweet and strong woman. She also said that Susie enjoyed life and tried to enjoy it the best way she could. If you asked Susie for something and she didn't have it, Kenyatta said she would go out of her way to get it and never expected anything in return. She said just a smile of gratitude was payment enough for her. When I read that sentence, you know, I got super emotional, Brittany. I think both of us hold our grandmothers in such high regard and value. And we constantly talk about the roles that our grandmothers play in our native family structures. They are the leaders of our families. And when you learn about stories like Susie's, it's really hard to fathom, you know, the story we're about to share with you all. So two years before the story of Rita and one year before the stories of Rhonda, Kristen and Megan, is the story of the mysterious death of Susie Oxendine. As Chelsea mentioned, Susie was 74 years old and lived on North Jones Street in Pembroke, North Carolina. So Jones Street is just a few streets over from Pine Street where Rita was found. On August 23, 2016, Susie's nurse aide that came to her home found her dead inside. While the sudden death of an elder might not seem strange, the circumstances surrounding Susie's death certainly were. When Susie's nurse arrived at her home, both doors were found open, and there were obvious signs that someone had gone through her belongings. An autopsy was performed on Susie, and the medical examiner's office determined that she died from natural causes. That struck the family as off, considering how she'd been found and the fact that someone had messed with her belongings. Her granddaughter said that the family was flabbergasted when they received news of the autopsy. Todd Harris, who was a Pembroke police detective, said the department's theory was that the home had been burglarized after she died. It's important to note that Susie lived alone. But y'all, I just think that theory is wild. If I was a burglar breaking into someone's home and I found someone dead inside, I would bolt so fast out of there. Like, I would be in the wind and would not turn back around. Honey, definitely. I would tear out of that mug, as we say in Lumbee. You know, so... I would I would definitely be gone because that would definitely scare me. And another interesting thing I read about this case is that in addition to her house being ransacked, the phone lines had also been cut. To me, that doesn't seem typical of a robbery like this, especially if Susie was in fact already deceased. What reason would you have to cut somebody's phone lines? And I know a lot of elders don't have cell phones and they still really rely on having their home phones that they use to to communicate with the outside world and so she may not have had a cell phone to even call anybody and her granddaughter also said that items were covering Susie's body including a pile of clothes and some trash and the part I found most disturbing is that her pants were found down around her legs And all of this information just seems super suspicious. And even if a cause of death could not be immediately determined, I would have a hard time as an investigator closing this case with the way the home was found and the way Susie's body was found. And the family also noted that the scene was not contained and folks were walking through and touching everything. Yeah, I always think about, you know, the home's when we talk about these deaths because growing up you know you watch these tv shows like 48 hours and dateline and you see folks painstakingly going through homes and dusting for fingerprints and trying to collect as much evidence as they can and i always wonder if that's really just how tv portrays things because if someone i love died in a home like this i would want someone to go through and collect as much evidence as possible you know no matter how small and just make sure the scene is contained 
One of the hardest things to hear also in this case was the condition of Susie's body, especially the fact that things were found on her body, even if she had died of natural causes and a burglar had found her, you know, why would they tamper with her body like that and just leave things on it? I just, things don't add up to me in this case. And apparently her body, you know, had already started decomposing, um, you know, so she was placed in a body bag and was not allowed to be opened. And so her family, you know, wasn't able to see her and her casket had to be sealed and taped shut due to the smell. Oh my God. You know, her granddaughter even said the funeral home would not even let her body rest inside the funeral home because of the smell. Kenyatta brought her a dress to be buried in and they would not place it on her. So she was just buried in her body bag inside of the casket. Her family never got a proper goodbye or one last chance to see their mother and grandmother. And I think not having a chance to have a proper goodbye has got to be tough on any family. I just cannot imagine not being able to see my grandmothers before their body were bodies were placed in the ground I don't I, I just think in our communities funerals are a really important part of our culture and like sending your family away even though it's a tragic time and a time of grief but like sending them away in a proper way is so important to us her granddaughter Kenyatta said it took her husband telling her three times that her grandmother had died for it to actually register and she still went to her house just for confirmation and figured out what was and you know to try to figure out what was going on and she said that when she arrived there was yellow tape in front of the house and people just going in and out of the house without any type of shoe coverings and the nurse who was her caretaker came up to Kenyatta at the house and spoke to her and she said that Susie had mentioned that she would be going away for the weekend and wouldn't need her but she still decided to go by and check on her because Susie's porch light was off which was very unusual which side note that reminds me of my grandma she always cuts her porch light on at night and since I lived beside her growing up I would look at her porch light in the morning to determine whether she was up and moving around yet so I feel like her nurse aide must have thought the same thing since they were neighbors yeah, my grandma would do the exact same thing. And the first thing the neighbor noticed is that the house had been ransacked or looked like it had been staged like a burglary because the family could find nothing of real value missing from the home. And it would not have been typical for the house to be in disarray because Susie was a very clean and neat person, which also sounds a lot like my grandmother's as well. And she also shared that a paramedic spoke with her before he left the scene and said he believed Susie had been hurt and killed based on how her body was found and her legs were actually spread open. And when I read that message from her, you know, my heart just sank because I couldn't imagine, you know, someone hurting this lady. If you look at the picture we're going to share on social media, she just looks like the sweetest lady, just like the essence of a grandmother. And Kenyatta said once the police closed the case, she just couldn't let it go. She made a post about her grandmother to try and get some more information or find out, you know, if anyone knew anything. So she actually posted to a local Facebook yard sale group. And a woman reached out to her because of the post and sent her the name of a man who she said had confessed to some things in regards to Susie's case. She said the messages she sent included details that were never shared with the public. And so she took everything seriously and sent all of the messages to the local police department. And it took almost a year. And finally, she was told by a detective that they would be opening Susie's case. 
That has been over a year without an update on the case and without any contact with Susie's family. As far as we know, the case around the mysterious death of Susie Oxendine is still open. If you have any information about the deaths of Rita Maynard or Susie Oxendine, please reach out to the Pembroke Police Department at 910-521-4333. Both of these women were mothers and grandmothers with families that care deeply for them. And before we go, we would like to let everyone know that we will be wrapping up Season 1 of The Red Justice Project in just a few weeks. Today is episode 26, and we plan on stopping at episode 30 to give ourselves time to regroup, plan, and come back to you with a new season of new stories. We can't thank you all enough for sticking with us over the past seven months. We will be back next Monday with another episode.